Welcome to Gathering Gold and to part two of our conversation about school anxiety. We're picking up where we left off, talking about struggling to feel like we belonged or fit in at school, and talking more deeply now about how school can really shape our identity and sense of self. I mean, we're talking about how how much of our identity can really get shaped or impacted at school. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything you might want to say about some of what can get reinforced or historically has often been reinforced at school when it comes to like our inner sense of self. Well, it's a piece I talk a lot about, especially around the topic of self-trust, that school, for the most part, teaches us to externalize our sense of self, right? I am here to get approved of socially and academically or in sports or, how I, or in theater, how, whatever the thing is that I'm going for, that I'm going for it to, to get approval and affirmation. Um, and well, to a certain degree, we do need that. We do need some reflection from the outside world. When it becomes our primary focus, it's a recipe for losing our sense of self, for, for, for really knowing ourselves and trusting ourselves because it all gets pinned on what does this teacher think of me? What does this student think of me? What does that boy think of me? What does that girl think of me? What does that person think of me? And young people, preteens, teens are primed anyway to externalize to a certain degree and to need that affirmation. But it really gets hammered in, in in the way that our academic system, our school system is set up. So we end up having to do a lot of unlearning and unraveling when we get out of school. And it's It's a shame. And it's not to say, again, like there are angels in every school environment. Kids, students, teachers, administrators, there are angels. And and I will also say in particular in this past year of COVID, what teachers have been asked to do and what so many of them have done has been phenomenal, you know. And we all know teachers deserve like... 10 times what they're making. It's a really hard job. And it's a hard job in a broken system. And so this isn't about blaming teachers at all. I think teachers are amazing overall. I will say, of course, I do hear stories in my sessions with clients about teachers who are not amazing, who are very damaging, who can be bullies themselves. Um, And that's a huge source of pain right? For the per- the adult in the room to be the one that's throwing you under the bus, teasing you or making fun of you, um, or straight out bullying you should never, ever, ever happen in the sense of unsafety, danger that that would create, right? It's horrible. But overall, we're in it, we're in, we're in these systems. So it's not ever about blaming teachers any more than it is about blaming parents any more than it is about blaming doctors and nurses. We're in a lot of broken systems that need an overhaul. And I think we are, that's part of what this global 
breakdown and transition we are in is we are seeing the brokenness of a lot of our systems. And we are going to revolutionize. We are going to move toward, I think, we are going to move toward much more health in these areas, including education. And if you look back to the history of education, and there's an amazing video by uh, Sir Kenneth so-and-so. I want to um, say Brannig, but that's I the actor. Not. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Robinson. Sir Kenneth Robinson. Let me make sure that's correct. Yeah, it's an amazing video called Changing Education Paradigms. And he talks about the history of our educational system coming from the Industrial Revolution and very much from this model and mindset and paradigm of everybody the same. Everybody does the same thing. You're going through, you're going through a machine. And we are, ex- we are recognizing that that does not work, that does not create a lifelong love of learning and curiosity. It shuts people down. At a really early age, kids get shut down. Their, their natural love of learning that we all have tends to get shut down. Now, of course, this is not across the board in every school situation and for every child, but it's a generalization. It happens. So how education can shape our identity for better or for worse, and for a lot of people, it's for worse, but I think and I hope that that's starting to shift and change. And we're starting to bring back in, I hope, more more creative ways of learning, more creativity in general, and more of that social-emotional developmental piece, which is so, so critical to um, embed into every stage and age of childhood into teenagers and beyond for our whole lives. You know, when I was struggling to go into school in sixth grade, there were, like I said, multiple factors. And another one was that I had a math teacher who was really, really scary (laughs) and mean. And I already, math was, you know, not my strong subject. So I felt stupid Mm -hmm. and I felt scared. Mm -hmm. And when I think about it, it's like I had probably 10 teachers that year and nine of them were great. Some of them were fantastic. And one of them terrified me and I didn't want to go to school. Um, And so it's not that that's the, you know, in my experience, that was the anomaly that I would occasionally have teachers who I was scared of, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, I was very studious you know, wanted to always get straight A's, very Mm -hmm. obedient, polite, quiet, all of these things. And it was really terrifying to me to to fail Mm. or even just to disappoint a teacher, um, to not be good at something, to not have it come quickly to me. Mm. It was all really scary. And I think as much as I didn't know where I belonged, the strongest identifying factor I had was that I was a good student. Yes. So good student was a big part of my identity. And graduating from college, actually, I was like, whoa, what now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. And becoming an adult, 
it was also really jarring to realize that all of those things that served me really well as a student in school, being quiet and obedient, cooperative, polite, getting, Mm. you know, study, memorizing, putting down the right answers, getting Mm. good grades. Some of those things serve me in some ways now. But to be honest, as an adult, you really need to be able to speak up and make decisions that are right for you and explore things and be willing to make mistakes and fail so that you can learn. And so that's a huge learning curve for me. Yes, it's one of the things I I love writing about and I wrote about it in The Wisdom of Anxiety is that we spend all those years trying to be normal and trying to fit in the box only to realize that the people that we celebrate and revere the most as adults are people who break out of those shackles, are anything but normal, and are completely outside the box. And so, so many of the mindsets and and goals that we set for ourselves and that are in the field, that are in the expectational field of school, um, are not the ones that actually serve us Mm -hmm. to be fully who we are, to be risk takers, to fail and make mistakes, to, to, to think outside the box. And so that's what I mean. Like there, we need a huge overhaul of how we're doing this. And it's part of the reason why we did homeschool for so many years is because we wanted to preserve our kids' love of learning, their passion, their curiosity. We didn't want to subject them to bullying, to teasing, to that feeling of of being on the outside when they were still forming their sense of self. Now they are experiencing those things, but they have a solid enough sense of self that we were hoping that now those experiences are, are healthy, life-challenging experiences that will help grow them, grow resilience as humans, because the idea is not to keep them in the safe bubble forever. So in addition to some of the painful and even traumatic experiences that can happen in school years and some of the externalization of our sense of self that might happen or might have happened in the past, There are also things to be really grateful for and some things about school that can be so impactful in a really beautiful way. So Mm. I'm wondering if we can touch on some of the things that we're grateful for from our school years. Yes. So the first person that comes to mind for me is a teacher I had in kindergarten named Karen White, and she was an angel for for all of my siblings, me and my two brothers. Um, So she had them first, and then I came along. And the thing about pain and watching our children be in pain is that we so much want to rescue them from it, and yet we know that it's, it's much more effective to allow them to walk through it as long as we have some trust that they're going to be, there's going to be some safe hands there. So my first day of kindergarten was traumatic. I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and watched my mother walk away. I still have the memory emblazoned into my brain of seeing her back walk away. Um, but I want to say here also, this is not what I'm hearing 
among of what's being done now. It's no longer parent has to leave instantly. Um, I, mean, I don't know what it's going to be like with COVID. That's the, it's tricky right now. But when I talk about the social emotional intelligence piece, it's very real that that educators recognize the importance of those transitional moments. I've had a lot of parents who, who prior to COVID were allowed to stay in the classroom for as long as the kid needed or to stay close by. Um, and it's really beautiful. It's really, it, there's, a, there's a much more holding that is happening now. Not always, but I am seeing that happening a lot more, which does allow a child to retain their sense of self. Their, their, this is who I am, their sense of self-worth and belonging. So for me to watch my mother walk away, but then to be ushered into the room, and it's not that it happened on that first day and suddenly I met Karen White and everything was glittery and roses, um, but over the course of a few weeks or maybe a few months, I transitioned into that classroom and into that school and Karen White was a key piece to help me transition. And I was young. I was three years, 10 months when I started um, it was really young to start kindergarten. It was like a two-year kindergarten program. And I'm November birthday, so I was at the young end. But she helped me and Miss Brown and um, the friends I made, Elizabeth and Jules, my two best friends that I made when I was four. Um, the, it was so positive. And like I've said twice now, I loved that school. Um, I, I, well, I was... A good student and I very much liked the approval that wasn't my guiding principle in those earlier years um, and so the angel teachers that we had just the school itself it was called UES University Elementary School in Los Angeles it was on the campus of UCLA and it was an experimental school um, and so they were pushing the boundaries a lot it was totally diverse very integrated and a very, very special place. And I realized how lucky I was to go to a school like that. And it was, it was almost cost nothing because it was, a, it was considered a public school. Um, so those were some of my angels in those early years, the friendships, the teachers. Um, and then even in my older years, in my high school years, while I was suffering emotionally a lot in that place of loneliness, I don't regret any of my school experiences. The way that school shaped me as a writer, um, as a thinker, there's no way any of that would have happened at home. Um, Jim Hosney, I will do a shout out. Jim Hosney was a film and history teacher that I had in high school who was instrumental to my growth, my emergence really as a writer, Peter Levitt, who I had for creative writing when I started writing poetry. Um, I wouldn't be the writer, the, 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 the way I see the world, which I consider being a writer, a poet, the way I see the world, the lens through which I see would not have happened without those teachers in my life. And I am eternally on my hands and knees, grateful for those educators. Oh, I love hearing about that. I love hearing about people who helped 
to shape you into the person who now helps so many other people and mm. that how those gifts just trickled down. Yes. I, I also had many teachers who I loved and felt so cared for by them and felt so connected to them. And also friendships that I made in school that I still have now, you know, from Mm -hmm. elementary, middle school, high school. And in thinking about parents who might be sending their children to kindergarten for the first time, on my first day of kindergarten orientation, so I think it wasn't my like official first day, but it was the day where the parents came with the students and there was like an assembly and then the students, we we were separating at one point from our parents. The students were going to go to the classroom and check it out. The parents were going to stay in the Mm. auditorium. And when it was time to leave, I was Mm. crying. I did not want to leave my mom. And this other kindergarten child (laughs) whose name was Lacey she put her arm around me and said don't worry honey you'll see your mom soon so amazing (gasps) so there were guardian angels like you know we talked about this in in the last episode about travel anxiety and Mm -hmm. looking for guardian angels out in the world and yeah I know like everyone whether it's a crossing guard another student a teacher a guidance counselor they're yes. there, thank God. Um, and I also just think about your mother wound course and how you talk about, you know, finding other mm-hmm. mothering forces out in the world. I think that's, you know, I there was that in, in that little girl, Lacey, for me, you know, and in teachers. And, mm. and that's a really positive thing. Like, we all need that. We all need, like, that nurturing coming from multiple people in our lives. And that's something that kids will, you know, hopefully get to experience. I also heard Brene Brown talking about the difference between uh, trauma and hardship and how hardship, I think she used the word hardship, but she's, she was saying how that actually creates resilience. Like trauma Mm. doesn't create resilience, but, but facing hard things and getting through them does create resilience. And I do think like, it's kind of funny. I think now as a 30 year old woman living in my own apartment, working from home, I can avoid a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very avoidant person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can really like, the more freedom I have, the more I can choose to like isolate myself or ignore certain problems. And Mm -hmm. when I was going to school, like I had to face things a lot. Yes. And I give little Victoria like a lot of credit for the mm-hmm. things that she, you know, all of the times she stepped into school in September, yes. you know, yes. and, and yes. doing like math and science every day and gym class. Like, I, I honestly yes. don't think I could do it now. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't think I could do some of that now. Mm. But I think that, yeah, I give my little self credit. And I think some of those experiences, not the traumatic ones, but the mm-hmm. ones that are hard, but that you get through and you learn from, they do build resilience. Absolutely. And I think one of the differentiating factors or the distinguishing factors between trauma and hardship, and not always, is having somebody to go through it with you. Yeah. 
So it can be the same event, but if you have a parent or a teacher or somebody, an older sibling or a cousin, to to talk with about it, to problem solve, to feel through it, um, then it's going to build resilience. And that's the piece I want to say. I want to come back to, I want to be clear about the homeschooling piece because I have had a lot of clients ask me about it in our path. And um, I don't think homeschooling is a better path. And I don't think school is a worse, worse path at all. First of all, my kids are now in school, but even in the earlier years, um, like everything in life, there are gifts and there are challenges. No matter which path we choose, no matter which partner we choose, no matter where we live, no matter what job we have, no matter if we go to school or homeschool our kids, there are going to be gifts and challenges. And there have definitely been challenges in the homeschool path. Um, Regrets I have, um, opportunities that my kids have missed. So there is no perfect path in anything in life and certainly not on the parenting path. So for kids who go to school, and it's obviously the ba- the vast majority, there are going to be hardships. But you as the parent are going to be there with them in a way that maybe your parent didn't know how to do or was too overwhelmed or didn't have the emotional skills or intelligence, not blaming parents at all. Again, we are all raising our emotional intelligence as a culture. Um, and our access to the internet and to books and to all of these ways of learning is helping all of us step into a different level of emotional intelligence. So yes, your kid is going to have hardship. That is not a bad thing. Unless you're tuned in and you see that it is, that it is too much. And for some highly sensitive children, some school environments, some classroom environments might be too much and it might tip them over into a place of this is actually too much. And then you will course correct, you will listen, you will step in, you will attune because that's what anyone listening to this podcast is going to do if you are a parent with a child in school. So most of my friends' kids went to school, I would say pretty much all of them, and they're doing great. So it's not like, oh, my kids have a sense of self because they were homeschooled all those years. That's not <laughs> that's not at all what I what I meant by that. Um, it was it was one of our motivators, but that's not at all to say that they wouldn't have just as solid a sense of self had they gone to school. Because I think um, the more influential element is the parenting more than the school choice that you make. Yeah. And what you're modeling about learning, about making mistakes, about failing, about yes, friendship, about authority, <laughs> all sorts of things. And some of those those things can only happen in school environments. They're mm-hmm. not going to come up in, in, at home. It's going to be too um too safe an environment, right? Where at some point your child, you're going to, at least for us, we recognize, okay, we've come to the end of this road with homeschooling. They need more. They need to be challenged. They need to come up against hardship in a way that's never going to happen in the safe bubble of this home environment. Like you're saying now, as a 30-year-old woman woman in COVID, like you can be the architect of your highly sensitive life. to such a degree that you will never be pushed outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. 
And that's not necessarily a positive, that's not going to invite growth in the same way that we are invited to grow when we are pushed outside of our comfort zone. Yeah, because life will come knocking Mm -hmm. eventually. And if that muscle has gotten really Mm. uh, atrophied, (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's more painful and it's more difficult. Yes, that's right. So I'm thinking about my clients whose kids are starting kindergarten and I've been asked about what kind of rituals they can do with their kids or even on their own, Um, but also anyone going back to school. In a way, every in a way, the whole world's going to school for the first time because it's been so long. And in the life of a seven-year-old, not having been in school for a year and a half, that's a very long time. But even for a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old going back, it's a big deal. So I wanted to just say a little bit about ritual. I know I've talked about it in other episodes. Um why it's so powerful, why it is medicine. It's one of the medicines that we've lost. It, it Ritual creates a vessel. It creates a womb. It creates a container inside of which the hard feelings, the pain, the grief, even the excitement or the relief, the uncertainty, parents especially, well, I think everybody, Feel We feel these paradoxical feelings. And so we can feel sad about a child going to kindergarten, but also feel relieved because you're going to get swaths of time back, right? There can be grief and there can also be excitement about what your child is going to be exposed to and what new learning, what teachers, what kids, what friendships, what are they going to learn that is beyond your pay grade, that you don't feel qualified to teach. So it's putting all of those emotions, both yours and your child, and helping them name, you know, what what are we letting go of, right? A ritual acknowledges the stages of transition. There is a letting go, separation, a death experience. There is the in-between liminal, and then there's the new birth, the new growth, the excitement, the new beginning. A ritual contains all of those stages. So it's naming the emotions, imagining putting them into the ritual vessel. And not just imagining, but ritual is about concretizing. It's about embodying the emotions. And so the one that we've done a lot that I've shared is writing down our feelings onto leaves or just saying them into the leaf to be more eco-friendly and tossing them into the water of the creek and watching the water take them downstream. But it can be it can be anything. You can make a bonfire and and throw things in. You can um you can do like a clearing out of your stuff it can be a great ritual with kids. Like look at this toy that you played with when you were three. Maybe you're ready to let it go and give it away and we can take it down to, you know, the thrift store. I've done spiritual direction with a lovely woman named Karen. And when I was facing something that I was scared about, 
she would say, think back on your life and think about the times when you have walked through something like this. Mm. And I almost wonder if that is also something that a parent could do with a child, even if they're really little. Mm -hmm. And remembering that you actually have that resilience and you have used it and we have separated and we've come back together. Mm. And that just came to my heart as I was listening. I love that. I love that. It's a very tangible way to start to teach children about resilience, what it is to walk through something hard, helping them remember a time that they've done something hard and everybody has no matter how little they are. So all different ways, and I encourage people to use their imagination when doing ritual. There's not a right way to do it. It's wonderful to draw on the elements of nature, water, stones, fire, but that's not necessary. It can, it can help transform. So what we're doing is we are transforming. We are letting ourselves be in the initial emotions, especially the hard ones, the grief, the sadness, the uncertainty, the dread. And you can do this also even if you're not going back to school or you don't have children. You can do this retroactively, and I strongly encourage you to, for your young self. Whatever age self comes to mind as a prominent age where you struggled to go to school. And so it's putting them in um, into the water, maybe a stone in a bowl of water, right? A whole bunch of stones. You gather the stones together and each one represents an emotion or, or something that you're letting go of. Like I was, um, I've been talking to some clients about what what are the shifts? What are you letting go of? What is the child letting go of when they go to kindergarten for the first time? So they're letting go of their schedule, the schedule changes, their amount of free time, um, where they're spending most of their time. So these can be important concrete elements to, to name. The emotions might be more amorphous for a five-year-old, but the lived physical experience of, oh, I'm going to be at home less hours of the day. I'm going to be in this physical location. And again, for kids going back to school after COVID, the same at all applies. So it's putting that all in, saying some words about it or singing a song, asking the water or the fire or the earth, maybe you bury something, maybe you plant something to transform, to transmute, right? to move the emotion through. Recognizing, especially for kids starting kindergarten, that there's, this isn't an element, a stage of, of childhood that is over. And it's a stage of parenting that is over. And it's so very important to name it to ritualize it, right? Maybe you make a photo album of zero to five. There's so many ways, so many ways to, to honor. The most important piece being welcome 
the tears, welcome the grief. What do you notice when I say a stage of parenting is over? A stage of childhood is over? Allowing all of that to be there, modeling grieving for your child. Modeling for them what it looks like to be in sadness. I'm sad that you're going and I'm so excited for you to model holding paradox, paradoxical emotions. They're not really paradoxical, but two seemingly paradoxical emotions at the same time. You can say all of these things in front of your children. Parents often say to me, but I don't want my kids to feel like they have to take responsibility for my sadness. They won't. They will see you showing up for your own sadness. You are modeling what it looks like to be with grief. Because when I'm in that space with Everest, it's not only clear to him that he is not responsible, but I will say out loud, you are not responsible. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I will make it explicitly clear. You are not responsible for my pain and my grief is a good thing. We don't want to be afraid of it. Grief is a good thing. Grief Grief just means that we love we love life and we're aware of it passing. And he so knows how much I support his dreams. Right? And him launching into the world. And the bigger piece here, and I was thinking about this episode beforehand. The way I talk about transitions and the way anybody who is steeped in the world of transitions talks about transitions is that when we learn how to walk through the smaller transitions, the transition of the end of the day, the end of a season, we are building a muscle for walking through the bigger ones, a child starting kindergarten, right? Graduating from high school, both for ourselves and for them, that each smaller transition builds us, gives us the tool set, the muscle, memory, the internal resources and external ones reaching for support that allow us to then walk through a bigger one like a wedding, like the death of a loved one, like becoming a parent, getting older, parents getting older, And then, ultimately, it's always hard to say as a highly sensitive person, death. So it's like we're always practicing for the next one in a way. And it's not linear like that. It's not how I understand it. I don't think of things in a linear way. It's more of the the circular spiral way of growing and learning. The piece I want to share here is that sort of the life overview piece of working with transitions consciously. Then there's what it is to be a parent. And I will share a story as as we're closing out. Everest turned 17 last Tuesday. And we had a, a really great day. You know, we did that ropes course and um, 
a lot of fun, a lot of pushing ourselves and finding fun on the other side, celebrating him, taking his lead. And at the end of the day, it was just Everest and I, and he said, I feel so sad that I'm getting older. And he used to say that a lot when he was really young. And then there were years when he didn't say that, when he was only excited. And now he's saying it again around this birthday. And something overcame me and I started to weep. And I can feel it now. The grief that we have spent his birthday since he was 12 in the same way, which is happens to fall in August and summer. He loves to travel more than anything, and so we've made our family vacation around his birthday. And it's just been the four of us every year, except for that year of his bar mitzvah, and then, of course, we didn't travel last year for COVID, but 12, 13, 14 was bar mitzvah, 15, and then 17. It's been the four of us away on vacation. And it just hit me like a tsunami, Victoria. The, the grief that we have one more. We have 18. And then who knows? Right? Who knows what he'll be doing in August when he's 19, going back to college. Who knows what other people, partners, spouses one day are going to come into our lives. That's a beautiful thing. It's all positive, but it's the naming that there's, there's the specialness of, of the four of us is coming to a close. And so when I think of my clients who are in grief about a stage of parenting and a stage of childhood ending, and I say, yes, I know, you're going to grieve that every step of the way. And every time you do, you're growing some capacity that allows you to walk through the grief. Grief doesn't get any less. I haven't cried that hard about my children and grieving a stage of of their lives ending and a stage of our family life ending, I can't even remember. It was a huge grief that hit me. And I just wept and Everest just, he just watched me and, but he was feeling it too. It was a, I was feeling into his grief also. I, I felt that I was, part of my weeping was also his tears. But it's naming and honoring and feeling it so that we can keep celebrating our children becoming adults and launching in the world. So that they are as unfettered as they can be to fly, to soar, right? And in his case, quite literally, that he will 
fly and fly and fly. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. One more tender place of grief that uh, this just like uh, cracked me open. I was reading it before we talked and it's, um, it's a guest post on my site that I asked a woman named Natalie Kane to share on kindergarten. And it's from 2011. So it's September 2011, 10 years ago. And she writes a really beautiful post um, where she's talking to a mother and father. And the parents are crying, but they're trying not to cry. And of course, I'm just thinking, let yourself cry. And she says that towards the end of the article, like, don't hold back the tears. Let yourself weep when you feel the tears. But she's at a different stage of life. So she's, she's writing retroactively, but really through their lens. And then at the end, she writes, happy kindergarten year. I'd love to see your children's art on the refrigerator door. Mine is blank. No school schedules, no sports event, no art. Yes, postcards of travels, quotations I love, invitations from me and hubby. And I admit cards from my daughter, even if they are from last year's Mother's Day. And it's like that bittersweet quality of being a parent that it's so painful, beautiful every step of the way. What is Glennon Doyle? She calls it brutal. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. So it's so big and it's so intense and yet all, all the fullness Right, our art's not a refrigerator door, but we have a a poster board, you know, where we we pin stuff up, and it's so full. It's the school schedule, and it's Everest's upcoming backpacking trip, and it's all his the list of things that he needs, and um, you know, it's this event, and it's that event. I mean, it's not as full as it probably normally would be because we're still in these times, but that fullness comes with so much pain and so much beauty and then they're gone. It's this piece of like, this stage is so hard, I can't wait to get to the next stage. But oh my gosh, I miss that other stage so much. So we're always sort of dancing that line as parents. And so when kids are going back to school, it's sort of all of that. It's I'm in so much grief and I'm in so much relief and thank God I have time back and my kids are having all of their experiences and it's a lot, it's just a lot to hold, which is why I, I go back to the ritual of let's, let's ask something bigger than us, something much wiser than us to help us hold all of this. Yeah, I think that piece is really important. We have covered a lot of ground. This is such a big topic. And if any of you as parents come upon a ritual or create a ritual that feels particularly meaningful for you, we would love to hear about it um, in the comments or just emailing us. I, I It would be so interesting to hear what, what you're all doing 
um, around this transition of children going back to school. And if anything arises as a personal ritual, an imaginal ritual or a literal ritual around your own school age years and that transition of going back to school. I love that. And I'd love to hear from teachers too. If there are any teachers listening who have rituals or thoughts on what we've been talking about, where can people find your work and also reach out if they want to share some responses? You can find me on my website, conscious-transitions.com. And you can reach me through my site through the contact tab at the top of the screen. I am also on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. You can also message me there. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it, leave a review. We so enjoy reading such beautiful, thoughtful, kind reviews. And you can also share it with a friend if there's someone you think who might enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.